0: And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Lamar. He's that
1: strange-looking man, thank you. That's Carl. I'm at him at the laundry, man. I Sam,
2: sweetheart.
3: I don't know what to do, Rabbi. Every night he listens to the radio. I can't keep him away. The Lone Ranger, uh, the Shadow, the Masked Avenger.
4: Now, this is not good. It tends to induce bad values, false dreams, lazy habits.
5: Want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? <laughs> guys! 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 Fellas, did we could listen to the radio or something?
2: Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This hour on Hollywood 360 will conclude Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden from 1949. Then it's a scary Wilkie Collins story on the Weird Circle from 1945. By my side is my co-host, Lisa Wolf and also Mike Costello. But right now it's time to get back... To our Miss Brooks, we started this last time. Let's go back to August 14th, 1949. Here's Eve Arden as our Miss Brooks.
1: Mr. Jensen, may I come in, Mr. Jensen?
6: You are in, Miss Brooks.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I guess I am. You
6: rapped on my door before entering, it's true. But then you fail to wait so much as a split second before opening it and entering upon the premises. Hence, your query falls into the classification of a purely rhetorical question. Maybe i better
1: go out and come in again.
6: <laughs> oh, not at all, Miss Brooks. You see, most of us employ altogether too many meaningless phrases in our daily conversation. I try to eliminate them. You've got something there, Mr. Jensen. Where, Miss Brooks? <laughs> I don't want to seem short with you Oh, you don't seem short to me, Miss Brooks In fact, you're a nice-sized woman And a pretty one, too, if I may say so
1: Who's stopping you? (laughs) Uh, That
6: is, I'd like to tell you what brought me here Oh, I know the answer to that one The stork (laughs) That's sort of a small joke, isn't it?
1: It is sort of small,
6: yes (laughs) The stork paid Mr. Jensen a visit just eight weeks ago Yes, I know How is the little deer? We didn't have a deer, we had a boy (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I, I play with him every night when I go home He holds his head up all by himself, rolls over in everything He sounds like a real boy,
1: Mr. Jensen
6: Oh, he's real, all right. I stopped playing with dolls when I was 12. (laughs) I'll be cutting out paper dolls if I hang around here any longer. Uh, Look, Mr.
1: Jensen, I just came by to pick up a loving cup Mr. Conklin left.
6: Pick up, Miss Brooks? You can't possibly pick anything up unless it's beneath you. And the cup of which you speak is standing on that shelf right over your head. All right, Mr. Jensen. Then if you
1: don't mind, and even if you do, I'll pick down the loving cup and blow.
3: (laughs) Gee, Walter, I'm all muddled up. I even forgot what Harriet said was an adverb. I'll never win that cup.
0: Oh, don't be a quitter, Stretch. You want to have that big barbecue party, don't you?
3: Sure, more than anything. But I'm just no good at English. Everything you tell me goes in both of my ears and out the other.
5: (laughs) We have two ears.
3: See, I'm no good at arithmetic either.
5: <laughs> Hello, kids.
1: How's it coming? I'm afraid we haven't been much help, Miss Brooks. Now, nah, he's more confused than ever. Looks like it's up to you to pull Stretch through. Well, I'll try, but there isn't much time left. Here, kids, you take this cup into my room and get ready for the test yourselves. I'll be along with Stretch as soon as I feel he's mastered some of the fundamentals. Okay, Miss Brooks, come on, Harriet. I'll carry the cup. All right,
7: Walter. Good luck, Miss Brooks. You too, Stretch.
1: Thanks. Yeah, thanks. Now, Stretch, in this streamlined English course I'm about to give you, we shall eliminate from our discussion all those phases of English in which you already excel. Tell me, in a word, what you know about possessive pronouns.
5: Huh? (laughs) That's
1: the word I was afraid of. We'll discuss possessive pronouns. Stretch, which of these sentences is correct? My father dislikes my dancing with young girls. Or my father dislikes me dancing with young
3: girls. Why, Pop, don't like me dancing with no girls, Miss Brooks.
5: <laughs> <laughs> that
1: is not the point, Stretch. Quoting from our grammar, let me read to you the simple rule governing the use of possessive pronouns. Listen closely, Stretch. Rule. The substantive preceding the gerund is usually in the possessive case while the substantive with the present participle is in the nominative or the objective case, according to the use of the substantive in the sentence. Now then, Stretch, which is correct? My father dislikes my dancing with young girls, or my father dislikes me dancing with young girls?
3: My pop don't like me dancing with no girls.
5: (laughs) I don't blame him (laughs) no-how. But, Stretch,
3: the use
1: of the word with in the sentence makes it prepositional, So perhaps I should explain the simple rule governing prepositional phrases before I can expect you to understand possessive pronouns.
3: Yeah, maybe that's what's clogging up my mind, Miss Brooks. Maybe if you read me about them prepositional things, I might see the whole thing clear.
1: Then here is the
3: rule, Stretch.
1: A prepositional phrase, a subordinate clause, or a participial phrase may take the place of a noun in almost any of its relations. Thus the sentence, for him to use the society's money was dishonest affords us a case in which an infinitive, to use, serving as a noun, the object of the preposition for, as a verb, takes a subject in him and an object in money. And the whole unites to form the subject of the verb was, and is qualified by by the adjective dishonest. Is
5: that clear?
3: Well, Stretch? My pop won't even let me dance with my mother. (laughs)
1: We wave a reluctant farewell to the prepositional phrase (laughs) And plunge headlong into the subjunctive mood Rule If I say, I am John the fisherman I am making a positive statement Flatly stating that I am indeed John the fisherman The fisherman acting in apposition with the noun John Which it explains But if the words, if I were, precede the noun The sentence is placed in the subjunctive mood indicating that the supposition is not a possibility. Thus, if I say, if I were John the Fisherman, the verb were makes it obvious that I am not John the Fisherman, for if I were John the Fisherman, I would simply say, I am John the Fisherman. What's my name?
5: I mean... (laughs) Am I
1: or am I not John the Fisherman if I say, if I were John the Fisherman?
3: Oh, that's easy. You ain't John the Fisherman, Miss Brooks. (laughs) I ain't. But how do you know I ain't, John? (laughs) Well, because if you was John the fisherman, you'd be carrying fish instead of that crazy book.
1: (laughs) At last, you've grasped the fundamentals. On to the test.
5: (laughs) Quiet, please.
1: Uh, Come to order, class. Before revealing the winner of the Yodar Critch Award for Unique Achievement in English... I should like to introduce the two gentlemen at my desk. On my right, Madison's popular biology teacher, who assisted me in marking the test papers, Mr. Philip Boynton.
6: Thank you, students.
1: And on my left, Madison High's beloved principal, Mr. Conklin.
6: Thank you, Harriet.
5: (laughs) Students...
8: I am as eager as any of you to learn the identity of the lucky pupil who has won this coveted cup. Miss Brooks, would you kindly make the announcement?
1: Yes, sir. The winner is Stretch Snodgrass. Uh Huh? Huh?
8: Huh? Huh?
5: (laughs) (laughs) Miss
1: Brooks,
3: is this some kind of a joke?
1: No, sir. According to your own definition, unique means unmatched and without an equal. Therefore, it gives me a great deal of pleasure to present to you, Stretch Snodgrass, this silver loving cup. Oh,
3: gee, thanks, Miss Brooks.
1: But would you tell me one thing? What's that stretch? How did I do it? By being unique. In all my experience as a teacher, you are the first student who ever completed an exam without answering one question correctly. <laughs> Bird bath anyone?
3: And now, once again, here is our Miss Brooks. Well, Mr.
1: Conklin spent two hours calling the Congressional Library to see if he could change the definition of the word unique. But he couldn't, and the barbecue came off on schedule. So did the moon. And at 7.22, Mr. Boynton and myself were standing next to the bird bath.
6: Look at the little birds in that bath, Miss Brooks. Aren't they cute? They
1: certainly are.
6: Look, they're rubbing their beaks together.
1: Mr. Boynton, you know the old expression, when in Rome, do as the Romans do?
6: I've heard it, yes.
1: Well, when next to a bird bath, you're supposed to do as the lovebirds
6: do. Oh, that sounds like fun, Miss Brooks. How's this? And this? And this?
1: I'm going to get a sandwich, Mr. Boynton. Call me when you're through kissing those lovebirds.
5: (coughs)
3: to another Our Miss Brooks show brought to you by Palmolive Soap, Your Beauty Hope, and Lustrous Cream Shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, is produced by Larry Burns, written and directed by Al Lewis, with music by Wilbur Hatch. For mystery liberally sprinkled with laughs, listen to Mr. and Mrs. North, the exciting, fun-packed adventures of an amateur detective and his beautiful wife. Tune in Tuesday evening over most of these same stations. And be with us again next week at this same time for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Bob Lamont speaking. This is CBS, where 99 million people gather every week. The Columbia Broadcasting System.
2: And that's our Miss Brooks from August 14th, 1949, starring Eve Arden, also in the cast, Gail Gordon, Jeff Chandler, and Leonard Smith. It was sponsored by Palmolive and Colgate. It's heard on CBS. Let's take a quick break, then it's the Weird Circle. Stick around. More
0: Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Hi, this is Sarah Knight-Adamson. I'm the national film critic for the website sarahsbackstagepass.com. I'm a member of the Broadcast Film Critics Association in L.A. and a voting member of the Critics' Choice Film Awards. Coming up next, you'll hear a film review of a movie that's playing near you. Jane Fonda in Five Acts. This is a documentary from HBO. This outstanding film sheds light on Fonda's role as a Hollywood star and her activism. We also learn her painful past of her cold father, Henry, and her mother who committed suicide when she was a child, as well as her struggles with eating disorders. The first four acts' titles are the key male figures in her life, Henry, her father, and her three ex-husbands. The last chapter is fittingly titled, Jane. Let's take a listen. I'm proud of most of what I did, and I'm very sorry for some of what I did. I consider Jane Fonda one of the most courageous women of our time. She didn't look back. She didn't change her voice.
5: I pledge
0: to resist! <laughs> the director is Susan Lacey. Here's another clip.
5: None of my marriages were democratic because I had to be a certain way. I had to look a certain way. My I to you? lived her life in front of us any healthy country like any healthy individual should be in perpetual revolution it took me a really long time to find my own narrative but um i am what i am
0: the bottom line i'm way in three and a half stars out of four i appreciated seeing the archival footage of fonda's life in the different acts and understanding her extended family a bit more She regrets her mistakes in Vietnam and does apologize. At 80 years of age, she has finally become self-sufficient. Check out all of my reviews and interviews on sarahsbackstagepass.com. See you next week. Hi, this is
2: Carl Amari. I've started the Classic Radio Club, where each month you'll receive 10 of the greatest shows of all time on 5 CDs in a collector case. Join now and receive your first 5-CD collection of 10 classic radio shows regularly priced at $39.95 for only $4.99. Each month I'll hand-select 10 more of the greatest classic radio shows of all time from my library of 100,000 shows and send them to you on 5 CDs. And I promise they'll be superior sound quality and you'll never receive a duplicate show. Log on to ClassicRadioClub.com and we'll rush you your first five-CD collection with ten of the greatest classic radio shows of all time for only $4.99. Your first collection will feature Abbott & Costello, Sam Spade, Dimension X, Escape, Fibber McGee & Molly, Gunsmoke, Have Gun Will Travel, Inner Sanctum, Jack Benny, and Suspense. You're going to love the Classic Radio Club. Learn how to join at ClassicRadioClub.com. That's ClassicRadioClub.com. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Welcome back. I'm Carl Amari. want to remind all of our listeners to check out the Classic Radio Club. Just go to ClassicRadioClub.com. You'll get CDs of classic radio sent to your door. And I'm talking about the best quality The most interesting classic radio shows in my library of over 100,000 shows. I'm picking 10 shows, putting them on 5 CDs, and sending them to club members every single month. Go to ClassicRadioClub.com. Check it out. Or you can talk to a live operator, 888-642-6556. That number again is 888-642-6556. All right, it's time now for The Weird Circle. Good mystery series came to radio in 1942. We have an episode called The Haunted Hotel by Wilkie Collins. Here's part one now of The Weird Circle.
8: The Weird Circle. In this
4: cave. By the restless sea, we are met to
6: call from out the past stories strange and weird.
4: Phantoms of a world gone by speak again the immortal tale, the Haunted Hotel. Venice is a beautiful city. Its climate is ideal, its buildings picturesque, its atmosphere charming. But I. I felt almost physically incapable of pleasure as the oarsman tied his gondola to the Castle Hotel mooring. For in my brain there was just one thought. I kept flying around and around like an imprisoned bat. Why is Philip dead? Why is Philip dead? And it was this that had brought me clear across an ocean to Venice. Ah, good evening, senor. Uh, you have a reservation for Henry Westwick? Mm, uh, yes, Signor. It was you who requested a northeast room on the ground floor, was it not? That's right, overlooking the canal. You are lucky. In the very next mail, another American named Miss James asked for the same room. Huh? But, of course, you had the priority.
7: Oh, I'm Miss James. Does that mean I can't have room 14?
4: Sorry, Signorina, I am afraid so. Unless, of course, you can persuade Mr. Westwick to trade with you. Yours is number 15, next door to the young man here, but without a view of the canal.
7: You wouldn't like to exchange, would you, Mr. Westwick? I
4: I wish I could be more gallant, Miss James, but I have a special reason for wanting 14. Boy, yes. take these bags, room 14 and 15. Uh, just follow the page, senor. Senorina. Thank you.
7: A special reason... You sound so mysterious.
4: Well, as a matter of fact, uh, I'm here to solve a mystery.
7: Really? Oh, please tell me about it. That is, if you don't mind.
4: Uh, No, I think I'd like to, Miss James. Just to make up for not being able to switch rooms with you. Six weeks ago, my brother married. It was very sudden. He'd met this Countess Nerona and her brother Rivar while traveling through Italy. Fallen deeply in love with her. And they came here to spend their honeymoon.
7: Oh, I thought the hotel opened just last week.
4: Oh, it did. Uh, This was formerly an old castle. Philip rented it for a month. He he was scheduled to leave the day before remodeling began.
7: But something happened?
4: He was only here two weeks when he died.
7: How shocking.
4: Not only that, but when I wrote to his wife for more particulars, I, I got no reply. She and her brother seemed to have vanished off the face of the earth took me a month to wind up my business affairs, but I'm determined to stay here until I find out exactly what happened to Philip. How? Why?
7: Yes, I can understand how you'd feel about your brother, Mr. Westwick. But you haven't told me the reason you want room 14.
4: Oh, uh, that was the master bedroom. I've got a hunch. If Norona left any clue, it would be there.
7: Here are your rooms, sir, madame. Well, good night and very good luck.
4: I'll... To see you around tomorrow evening, Walters, James?
7: I think so. After all, we Americans have got to stick together. And, uh, Henry? Yes? My first name's Elaine.
4: I went into my own room, shut the door, and immediately that overwhelming sense of depression closed in on me again. For a few minutes there in the hall, Elaine's warmth and vitality had dispelled it. Now alone, in the very place of my brother's death, I felt more than ever confused and discouraged. Where to start my search? I didn't know. As I crept between the cool sheets, I thought, oh, how much this room could tell me. If it would only speak. If I were only sensitive enough to grasp what it was saying. Then I, I just drifted aimlessly with the sound of the canal in my ears lifting me up, bearing me along like a bit of wood on its surface. For a while, I, I didn't realize the sound had changed, that it had become a murmur of voices speaking fluent Italian. But then I, I began to see them, a man and a woman. Their images were slightly distorted, like an improperly focused motion picture. And even through my dream, I, I knew I was outside the scene,
2: invisible to them, an audience. Well, and that's the first portion of the Weird Circle, more after these words... Now, back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Now, let's get back to the Weird Circle.
7: How can you ask that of me, Rival? You're my brother, the only one on earth I care about. How can you ask me to sacrifice myself to that?
9: An unattractive boor of an American. Do you think I'm unaware of your feelings, Nerona? That I'm totally blind to how much it repels you? But what can I do? They're after me again for my gambling debts. And those men are vicious, completely unprincipled. Why, killing me would mean as little to them as snapping a toothpick. And surely you don't want my death on your soul.
7: Oh, please, Riva. Don't try to work on my sympathies. You sound like such a fool. But, Nerona, he's not an unkind man.
9: Didn't he lease this castle for us and let us move in just on the
7: hope that you'd marry him? Keep
5: still, can't you?
7: Very well. I shall send Westwick a note by messenger saying I accept his proposal. What? What's today's date,
9: Rivard? It's the 16th. December 16th. And thank you, Nerona.
4: I don't know which happened first. The screen going blank or my mind refusing any more of the vision. But suddenly I found myself sitting up straight in bed, my eyes wide open, my hands digging convulsively into the quilt on each side of my sweat-soaked body. Oh, a horrible nightmare, I thought. And... Perhaps I could have accepted it as such, except for one thing. In the dream there had been a waste paper basket near Nerona's desk, with a newspaper lying on top of it. And while I could not see the countess nor her brother clearly, the date of that paper had been quite plain. December 15th. And my brother had written to me that his fiancée was so eager for their marriage she had inadvertently dated her acceptance a day ahead... That detail had left my mind completely. Could this dream have been an extension of reality? emotions undergone so vivid they had left their impress on the walls to be returned to whomever would receive them? I, I did not sleep much the rest of the night. I spent the next afternoon in a thoroughly fruitless search for some clue to Nerona's present whereabouts... I was rather glad by 8 o'clock to shower and change clothes at the hotel. I'd just finished dinner and decided on a stroll when I heard Elaine calling me.
5: Henry! Hi!
7: Do you always eat dinner so late? I waited for hours and hours, and then I decided I was just too hungry.
4: Well, I am flattered. Want to go for a walk with me?
7: I'd love to. And you needn't be so pleased with yourself. No, no, no. It really isn't any special accomplishment of your own that you're the only decent looking male in the hotel.
4: <laughs> Thank you for that left handed compliment. And are you going to chase me all over the place, Elaine?
7: Oh, madly. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, how did today's sleuthing go, Sherlock?
4: Oh, not very well, I'm afraid. The only new factor I've discovered is that no one in all Venice seems to have ever seen Nerona.
7: Well, that's incredible.
4: I know. But Philip alone signed the lease, and then he and Norona and Revar moved into the castle. That much, the real estate agent told me.
7: How about the servants? Surely they must have seen her.
4: Well, there was only one. A man named Ferrari had been with the countess a long time. Now, he's disappeared completely. Oh, I suppose they took him with them wherever they've gone.
7: You have got a puzzle, haven't you?
4: Well, even if I did discover that Philip was murdered... I still don't have the faintest idea of what his murderess looks like. And nobody seems familiar with their titles.
7: Probably phonies. Say,
4: I never thought of that. You know, Elaine? What? I'm not sure, of course, but there really may be something under that hair. Why, (laughs) you... Ouch.
7: And I shall wear my brass knuckles in the future.
4: Madam, please. I have a very delicate stomach. Did you hear the sound it made when you belted me?
7: (laughs) Idiot. That was my bracelet. (laughs) See? Six tiny sleigh
4: bells and a silver chain. Oh, well, I thought that they only put sleigh bells on horses. Oh, you... Ow. <laughs> Maybe we'd better get back to the hotel before you really get angry. <laughs> then you'll have to carry me home. <laughs> I'd never met a girl like Elaine before. Pretty, intelligent, with a sense of humor, all at the same time. It was with the greatest reluctance that I finally consented to our saying good night, To making her promise that she'd see me next evening. Was that the only reason I wondered? Was I afraid that I might have another dream? I pulled the cover up to my shoulders. And almost instantly, as if it had been impatient for my coming, the dream began again.
7: I can't stand him any longer, River. Not another day. We've been married just two weeks, and already he's scrimping. Already he's being economical. Why don't you take the bus, Marona, instead of a cab? It's just as comfortable.
9: And he seems to think that paying my debts absolves him of all other responsibility toward me. And what's more, that I should be eternally grateful to him for it. Has he said anything about those suits I bought?
7: No, he hasn't seen the bills yet. Oh, it's hard enough on you, I'll admit, but... How about me? He just stays in that library, reading all the time, and refuses even to let me go outside the door without him. Riva... I'm leaving him. No. Why not? We've paid off those gangsters you call your friends. Look, let's not fool ourselves, Nerona. We'll always be
9: spending more than we've got. We can't throw him away. Just yet.
8: Aaron Rivar. Mr. Westbrook wants to see you. <coughs> I'm afraid
9: it's that Bill. Oh, Lord. Now I'll have to stand there like a disobedient little boy while he gives me a
8: dressing down. <coughs> I said I thought you were out of the house, but... <coughs> But I ain't seen you come in.
7: How's your cold, Ferrari?
8: Oh, not too good, Countess. Not too good. If only
9: there was some way to have Westwick's money without his presence. Or if we could just make a quick killing and... Yes. A quick killing. Riva, no! Do you want to live with that man the rest of your days? Tell me, Nerona, does your husband carry any life insurance? All had gone like black again,
5: I
4: was pushing desperately through the thick sludge of sleep, struggling back into consciousness. It was nearly dawn. The world from my window looked cool and clean and quiet. I was so shaken I I could barely dress. But I knew only a long walk would calm my shivering nerves. Besides, there were a few telegrams I had to send. Telegrams which might clear up the mystery of Philip's death. The day went well, incredibly better than I'd hoped. And yet, getting my key from the desk that evening, I realized I was right back where I started. I walked down the corridor and hesitated in front of Elaine's door. Should I knock and say hello or wait till I was dressed for dinner? That problem was quickly solved.
7: Good evening.
4: Well, how did you know I was here?
7: Well, ours are the only rooms at the end of this hall. I heard you walk by and stop, and no sound of a (laughs) key.
4: For a moment you had me worried. I thought you were psychic.
5: Oh,
7: I am, didn't you know? I'm the seventh daughter of a seventh son of a seventh son. They slipped me in because they thought they were getting in a rut.
4: Really? Oh, then I don't have to tell you what I found out today, do I? Uh, You know it already.
7: (laughs) Oh, come on inside, you horrible creature. And stop keeping me in suspense. Now, tell me all about it.
4: Well... I feel like a pawn in a chess game, Elaine. The minute my side forges ahead, something occurs to checkmate it.
7: Like what, for instance?
4: Well, like discovering Philip had been insured for fifty thousand dollars.
7: Fifty thousand dollars?
4: I telegraphed all the insurance companies in America today, and one of them cabled the information immediately.
7: Why, Henry, you're brilliant. Whatever gave you the idea?
4: Well, I've been having It was just a hunch. They gave me the name of Philip's examining physician here in town who filled in the death certificate, and I checked up on him this afternoon. Yes? No. He's straight as a die. Got the best reputation of any doctor in Venice. Now, he swears my brother died of bronchitis, and... Well, I... I'm sure the insurance examiners weren't any too cheerful about handing out $50,000, especially with only one premium paid on it, but they believed him.
7: Oh, that means a dead trail again, huh?
4: I'm afraid so.
7: Oh, Henry, I wish I could help you. If there were only something I could do... I'll tell you
4: what, Elaine. Get into a fluffy dress and... clasp those funny little sleigh bells around your wrist and... we'll go out and really see Venice tonight.
7: Okay, Henry. I'll meet you in the lobby in ten minutes. Henry, what is it? You've been trying to act gay all evening. That's exactly what it's been. An act.
4: I'm sorry, Elaine, I... I didn't mean to worry you with my troubles.
7: You worry me much more when you won't tell me. What worries you?
4: I know you're tired. It's nearly two o'clock and you've been yawning for the past half hour. Elaine, would you think me crazy if I told you I was afraid to go back into my room? Afraid to... to go to sleep?
7: But why?
4: I... I have the most hideous dreams. All about Philip and the Countess and her brother.
7: Oh, Oh, good heavens, Henry. That's perfectly natural. The three of them are constantly on your mind, and you are using your owner's old room. But
4: but the nightmares seem to be planned. They they seem to have a purpose behind them.
7: Look, if you wish, I'll gladly change rooms with you.
4: No. Oh, thanks a lot, Elaine. But the least I can do for whatever's trying to give me the message is receive it. Good night, funny face. Sleep didn't come so easily now perhaps because I was too anxious to get into the dream, or because for the first time I'd acknowledged a complete belief in it. At any rate, my eyes simply wouldn't stay closed. My mind kept whirling ceaselessly. I tried to lie very quietly, without thrashing, and my body grew taut and straining with the effort. Finally, just as I felt I could stand this immobility no longer, the thread snapped. My brain went limp,
7: and a shadow play continued. Take another look, Riva. He promised he'd come immediately.
9: The doctor's not here yet, Nerona. Do you think I'm blind? No,
7: no, no. I'm sorry. It's just nervousness, I guess.
9: Poor sister. Never mind. It'll be all over with by tomorrow.
7: Countess. Yes, Ferrari. Ah, but we should come to this, Riva. The only friend we have left. And we bury him in another's grave.
8: I don't mind, Countess. In fact, I should be flattered. Think how long I shall be pointed out as a millionaire, instead of the pauper I really am. <clears throat> Twice before I, I had this illness, I knew a third attack would be fatal.
7: He's coming. Quickly now, Ferrari. Repeat your story. Yes. I am Philip Westwick. Last week
8: I caught cold, but I refused to have a doctor even though my wife pleaded strenuously that I should. I hold a $50,000 policy on my life. And in the (coughs) event... of my death, I wish the doctor to communicate with them. My wife will arrange all the funeral details and notify my
7: relatives in America. Right. Now... I must go into the library and find my husband. He'll be pleased to see me, I'm sure. There's a small jeweler's bill of mine he's taken in there to study. Oh, well. That'll soon be over for good. And it's most important Philip doesn't wander into this part of the house while the doctor's still here. That might prove awkward.
9: Nerona, when do we finish with Philip?
7: Tonight, after the doctor's safely gone. How? A knife.
9: But you know I can't stand the sight of
7: blood. Don't worry. I intend to do this thing myself. I do not propose to have it bungled. There. He's at the door now. Wait until I'm out of sight. Then answer it. And River. Yes? If the doctor asks where Mrs. Westwick is, tell him my constant vigilance has tired me so. I'm asleep in another room.
6: <laughs> Very well, narona Very well.
4: Tableau faded slowly before my eyes and, try as my subconscious would, to call it back, make it unreal further for me. The curtain remained stubbornly closed. I, I didn't wake after this dream, as I always had before, but sank into a dense hypnotic slumber. Then I felt hot, bright fingers of sunlight touch my eyelids. I knew it was morning, and I awoke. Between Bath and my breakfast, I formulated a final plan. Something in last night's vision had given me an idea. It was just a little lead to be sure, but everything else had turned out in blind dally. So I, I had to try it. I was sitting on the floor in the library, surrounded by books, when Elaine walked in. Oh, I'm looking for someone, lady?
7: What? Oh. oh, Henry, is this where you've been all afternoon? I just came in to get a magazine, because when you are not around, the hotel's so boring.
4: Thank you for them kind words, ma'am. You can add them to my bill when I leave.
7: (laughs) What are you doing? Is this another clue in the case of the missing counters? Or have you simultaneously lost your mind and found a new variation on paper dollies?
4: It's a clue, uh, I think. Sit down here. Make yourself useful.
7: All right. Now what?
4: Well, look through this pile of books and see if you can find a bill or a letter. I have reason to believe Nerona bought some jewelry.
7: So what? All women buy jewelry. Even I do.
4: <laughs> if we can find out where she bought it, we'll be able to get her description. See?
7: Oh, of course. What a dope I am.
4: Oh, I never argue with a lady. What? <laughs> Even if the bill's not here, it won't matter too much. I'll canvass every jewelry store in Venice till I hit the right one.
7: How come you're so sure of this angle, Henry? Did you find out something new?
4: Well... I had a dream about Narona last night.
7: Oh, well tell me, Henry. What does she look like? Is she beautiful?
4: That's funny, but I, I don't really know. It's as though I'm nearsighted and can't get the image distinctly. Help me, I've tried. Hey.
7: What? Oh, Henry, it's a letter. Well, open it quickly. See if it's the one we want.
4: It is. A bill made out to Philip for three thousand lira. Oh, Elaine, this is the break. This is the opening wedge. I've got a hunch that from now on, the mystery's going to crack wide open. I'm going to phone the jeweler for an appointment.
7: I don't want to be a killjoy, Henry, but it says on the bill, store hours from ten to six. It's nearly seven now.
4: Oh. Oh, well, it doesn't matter. I'll go tomorrow. Tonight we'll celebrate. We'll have truffles and nightingales tongues and champagne in the works.
7: Anyway, Henry, we'll have the champagne.
4: Late that night. When we returned to the hotel, I felt more than ever that at last I was getting to the root of Philip's death. I crept into bed. I could wait for the dream calmly now, because I was no longer running around in circles, but right at the threshold to my brother's vengeance. I... I recognized a corridor outside my own door, and Rivar and Narona walking softly toward it. You're
9: sure you can do it?
7: I'm not afraid. I'll go through with my end of it. Just be sure you don't mess up yours. Remember now, the biggest wine cask you can find in the cellar. And saw so a wide enough hole in the top so the body will go through.
9: Have you got the knife? Of
7: course. Now go, for heaven's sake. You make me nervous.
4: I watched her. With an icy, agonized horror no earlier dream had produced. She stealthily opened the door. And I could see Philip at the window. His back toward us, gazing out over the canal. didn't seem to hear her footsteps sliding across the floor, coming nearer and nearer to him. I wanted to shout, scream at him, warn him against the rotor. But I knew I was just a spectator, watching a hideous motion picture, and I could not change this ending. She stopped then. Motionless, just in back of him. I saw her hand come up slowly, a sharp, slender knife. The blade glittering up brightly with the bracelet on her wrist. Just as it started downwards for the final thrust, I heard a familiar sound. It was then I realized the dream had dissolved and I was teasing up to reality. I grabbed her hand. Oh, let me go. Oh, Jane, oh, it was you? Let me go. No. I think one member of the Westlake family is quite enough. Countess narona
7: One moment more and you'd never have known my identity.
4: Yes, I would. I'd seen your hand with a knife with a sleigh-bell bracelet.
7: So, that gave me a it? The last thing your brother ever paid for alive, Henry. If you had not found the bill for it, I shouldn't have tried to kill you tonight.
4: No? When would you have tried to kill me,
7: Countess? Perhaps never. I liked you, Henry. We will now learn of your arrival from the shipping news while we were at Milan collecting Philip's insurance from the branch office there. I followed you, of course, to make sure you discovered nothing. However, we were both unfortunate.
4: Especially you, Narona. Walk in front of me to the telephone. I've got the dagger now, remember. <coughs> My clerk, will you please call the police, tell them there's a murderess in room 14? Yes, thank you. Go on, Nerona. What about your American accent? It's quite perfect.
7: I really am a countess. Even though from an obscure town in Luxembourg. And I was given the appropriate education. I could speak six languages fluently at the age of ten. However, one cannot turn titles into bread nowadays, and so we had to live by our wits, Riva and I. Come in. Senora Westwick. they are here. Shall I send them in? No. I shall go out to them. Henning. Take this bracelet, to remember me by. Such little death. One would not think them capable of sounding a death knell. Signora, the authorities grow impatient. Of course. Goodbye, Henry. Goodbye.
4: Goodbye, Elaine.
2: that's the weird circle with the haunted hotel by wilkie collins originally broadcast may 13th 1945 It's heard on nbc let's take a break then it's more of hollywood 360 more hollywood 360 after
0: these important messages
2: Hey, fans of Classic Radio, Carl Amari here. I've created a free app just for you. Get 10 Classic Radio Shows free in the Classic Radio Shows app. Plus, there are many more shows available for in-app purchase. You can get your free Classic Radio Shows app in the Google Play Store or the Apple Store. The easiest way to get your free app is to log on to Hollywood360radio.com and scroll down to the Classic Radio Shows app banner and click either the Google link or the Apple link. Don't miss out. Get your free Classic Radio Shows app today.
0: And now back to Hollywood 360 with
2: Carl Amari. Next week, it's Academy Award Theater, The Abbott and Costello Show, The Shadow, The Hall of Fantasy, The Jack Benny Program, and Lights Out. From my team here at Hollywood 360, thank you all very much for tuning in. Stay safe. We'll see you next time.